This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Welcome in. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? This is a very special episode on the nature of glamour and banality, which I think we're kind of taking a not exactly edition agnostic approach, but I don't know, edition encompassing approach? Yes. Maybe even cover into hypothetical future editions yes freeform discussion on the topic so yeah i guess that uh has our first question is uh so what's banality and glamour Puka? that's that a big question can we can we divide it into two <laughs> yes <laughs> so what's glamour so i'm gonna just give a quotation from the Changeling 20th Anniversary Edition core book, because I think it is a very lush and elegant description. Mm -hmm. According to that book, glamour is the shining opposite of banality, the spark of hope that burns bright against the oncoming endless night. Glamour is the very stuff of creative life and hope, shining wherever artists work at their passion and mortals battle away the doldrums to dream. Glamour is the basic building block of all fey reality. It powers the dreaming, makes up every particle of chimerical creatures and creations, and powers all fairy magic. Glamour gives Changeling the ability to call up whirlwinds or whisper to trees, create magical flying ships, or allow mortals to see or touch the dreaming by infusing them with just a touch of power. Glamour is also the basic energy that keeps Changeling from losing their feminine and power. Glamour fuels their cantrips, and without a constant stream of glamour, a Changeling forgets her connection to the dreaming and fades back into her mortal seeming. Though it is vital, the force of banality in the world has made glamour scarce. Changelings spend their time finding new sources of glamour by cultivating mortals that produce it, or discovering new locations where natural glamour flourishes. These locations become a precious resource that must be protected, or they can risk the world becoming that much colder. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice kitchen sink description, I would say. Yeah. But much more simply, the glossary just says, the stuff of dreams, inspiration, and pure creativity. So whichever mm-hmm. floats your boat. Yeah. I mean, that works. <laughs> but that also is it's it's hard to apply that right it's true well because then there's glamour as the game stat and glamour as the narrative element mm-hmm. which are two different things yeah the way i think of it and this is this is my own personal take i think glamour has been inspired a lot by an also nebulous concept in philosophy and literature and whatnot of the sublime oh and i think i have thoughts so so yeah that's i I think that's not that that's going to just give you a straightforward answer either but yeah i think if you want which sublime too that's the other well well, which glamour right it's yeah i think that's part of the thing right but well that all right how do you understand the sublime because i i will briefly you know put on my academic cap and say that I, I have done academic research and writing on the topic. So it's something that I'm mm-hmm. deeply interested in. But I see more of it from the romantic poetry mm-hmm. sort of genre than from like the philosophy genre, although obviously those are not completely distinct, right? I'm and mainly like, talking about Kant, so. 
Yeah, see, I'm thinking like Coleridge and Woodsworth as the... Ah, uh, okay. Close enough. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and I think part of the thing with with Glamour and the Sublime is it's more of a, not even feeling, but mm. it's something, there, there's the question of what is this thing? And there's the question of how do you get it or where do you find it or what does it do? And, and these are all different questions, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in my understanding of the sublime, and when I say that I'm deeply interested, I'm deeply interested in like a very particular definition of it, because I think it is one of those concepts that has been defined in many different ways. So Mm -hmm. in particular, the Kant definition, uh, where he distinguishes three types of the sublime, there's the, I think it's the beautiful, the noble, and the terrifying, or Mm -hmm. those are one set of English translations. And I like that for glamour because it kind of touches on different ways that different types of changeling express it from the purest and the brightest to the absolute darkest. But what unites them is that it's our individual level response to what we can't comprehend, the overwhelming Mm -hmm. and the ineffable. So the classic example that I like, I mean, not like, but (laughs) when when you think about death, death being something so enormous and incomprehensible that you have to kind of localize it into a specific form, such as your own death, your own mortality, in order to kind of get your head around it. And that's Mm -hmm. an example of the terrifying sublime, because obviously people don't like to think about those things. But you could also say equally like seeing God or something. If if you're a faithful person, Mm -hmm. God is too overwhelming and all-encompassing to see in all of their glory. So you, you form an image, you anthropomorphize, you have a, a theophany to use that term. So mm-hmm. I like that. I like the notion of there's, there's glamour in the abstract, that overwhelming force. And then there's glamour in the immediate, which are these little quanta of experience mm-hmm. or qualia, I think is the philosophy term actually, yep. which are drawn from it. Yeah. And I think there's a, like there's different questions. Like there's, a lot comes down to like from a changeling perspective of the epiphanies, right? Mm-hmm. And th- there's sort of like th- you could think of it as like three ways of gaining or gaining glamour. You know, somehow you somehow get it from a dreamer, you somehow get it from yourself, and you get it from like the world. Mm-hmm. Those can be kind of different. So like how you get it from yourself is a very subjective thing. How a dreamer gets it, there's kind of an objective answer of, is this person a dreamer and are they gaining glamour? Like, do they have glamour that you could gain? And and how they experience glamour, but though is it's subjective to them, but your how you get it out, like if they have it, is, is more of an objective question. Right. And then there's like, does a freehold have glamour? Does a Glenn have glamour? Does the dreaming have, like, that's kind of, it's just there. Like, yeah, that's very straightforward. Yeah. The thing about a, a statement like that, though, like, does a place have glamour embedded in it? I almost feel like there's a little bit of a fallacy in there because glamour to me has always seemed like an active process. So glamour mm-hmm. isn't just, I mean, with the exception of dross, where it is kind of encapsulated into a material or chimerical yeah. material form, it, it's about change and and mm-hmm. dynamic movement. So it seems weird to say like, yeah, there's just a big pool of glamour sitting here. Yeah, I don't I don't mean it sitting here, but like at this exact moment, is there a lot of glamour or is there a little glamour 
here. I think that's more like you're not, you could have changelings with very different worldviews. And yeah. at least my take of the game, and this is kind of consistent across editions, is they're not going to disagree if like this place has glamour. Yeah. This is, at least if there's a lot of it. Is this a freehold? Yes or no? Like, right. But what makes a freehold? You know, mm-hmm. like, is it the fact that there's a bale fire or some other kind of channel to a flow of glamour from the dreaming? Yeah. Or is it something else? Yeah. Oh, well, that's getting into another big question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> kind of never been answered in Changeling. There, there's sort of two takes on glamour, and maybe both are true, where glamour comes from people, you know, mortals often, but Changelings would sort of count too, like where that's where glamour originates and it feeds the dreaming and it feeds everything around it. Or does glamour come from like deep in the dreaming and flow into humanity and everyone else? So I am not a scientist. I have always been kind of terrible. at Well, I won't say kind of terrible at science. I'm fascinated by science, but I never had the patience to really you know, get knowledgeable about it. I still enjoy sciencey metaphors though. Mm-hmm. And with something like glamour, I think back to, you know, random high school science classes or whatever, and the diagrams of cycles, like the water cycle or the carbon mm-hmm. cycle. And that, to me, is that kind of relationship. You know, it's, in a sense, impossible to determine, like, where glamour started, but then it equally doesn't really matter because neither the dreaming nor humanity could at this point live without each other. Or if they yeah. did, it would be a pretty miserable experience for all involved. So, yeah, like if you cut off, if you removed all the humans or, or everyone who dreams, I guess, yeah. would would the dreaming die? And if you vice versa, if the dreaming died, would that completely change humanity? And yeah, I think that's a pretty, that's why I said like both. That's a pretty valid take, I think. I don't think the people writing the books have been, I think <laughs> no. all three views are there. Yeah, it, it's, I kind of like that notion of the cycles, because it also ties into, I mean, a lot of those cycles that you hear about have to do with kind of like food chains and nourishment and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which ties into its role very immediately within the game. You know, it's yeah. not. All right. So I'm, I'm going to draw two very disparate parallels and say that glamour is kind of like weather in the sense that, you know, it's not just about having water vapor and electrons and like all the elements that make up the atmosphere but it's about how they move and develop and shape in different Mm -hmm. ways and i also think it's kind of like vitamins so you know because you synthesize certain essential things that you need within your body but you also kind of have to absorb them from well Mm -hmm. either eating or from your environment in different ways and you might be able to live for some time without at least some of them but it won't be very fun yeah and that that also kind of like if you do more broadly than just vitamins like nutrition yeah that also fits <laughs> in um like what is rhapsody right yeah. where you are kind of hijacking a process you're putting in too too much refined it, it goes into overdrive yeah. and then yeah like there's a capacity of burnout even without rhapsody i mean like artists can burn out <laughs> yeah it's not really a system for that but like it, you know it seems reasonable if you did way too much intense musing that could burn out somebody after a while i think that's why musing in particular has like the long time scale which i assume people don't like to role play musing because it takes a long time but it's sustainable mm-hmm. and that's there's a metaphor in there somewhere <laughs> 
Yeah. I also see this kind of thing like not just, okay, golden rule, whatever, but the glamour systems are kind of, to me, kind of like the skill system or attribute system. Like, I don't think in Changeling or the World of Darkness, people really have zero to five levels of well-defined drive. Like, mm. you're supposed to diegetically have that. Like, I think the epiphanies, maybe Changelings would talk about it, but I don't think that's the sum total of glamour. This is the, let's make it simpler to actually make it playable. Yeah, yeah. no, that makes sense. So in terms of actualizing it, or operationalizing it, is maybe the word I want, how do you like to incorporate glamour into a game? Um, I'll try when I remember to throw in, like, you know, okay, there's glamour around and stuff. I do a lot of canning roles mm. and things like that to sort of hint at what's going on with glamour. I'll do, you know, try to bring in the epiphanies a lot. I try to set things up so people have to spend glamour so that either the payoff banality or, you know, they're just spending a lot of glamour on other things, cantrips, whatever, right? So that's what I try to, like, bring a lot of flowing of glamour into the game, but also make it so the player characters have to start to work for it because they're, whatever, running low on it. Mm-hmm. It depends. So, and then, you know, if they take a freehold, that's sort of the side thing is, okay, they're now having to that's a lot of responsibility too so that's kind of how i do i don't know how to explain that better but (laughs) but yeah i try try to bring in a lot of the the various glamour system stuff yeah i mean they've provided so many systems we might as well use them right Mm -hmm. for me i always try to focus on the sensory description aspect because i feel about the world in general but also the world as it's made manifest through the rules of changeling the dreaming that there's almost always at least some banality and some glamour everywhere you look. Because if you had nothing but glamour, it would be like a bad trip, ego death, just formless sensation constantly without any let up. Whereas if you had total banality, it would just be like the heat death of the universe, you know? mm-hmm. total stasis. So presumably the world that we live in kind of fluctuates between those two poles. Yeah. I don't, one thing I don't do is try too hard to associate dynamicism and stasis with banality and glamour, but that's fair. Yeah. No, I I, I think one, one could, but it is more complex than that. Yeah. But I do think that when you set a scene, that's the opportunity to signal to the players. Here's how much glamour is kind of at play in terms of how you describe it not only visually, but also experientially in terms of sensation, the the sounds that you hear, the smells in the air, the tingling in the fingers, like any kind of embodied description you can give is an opportunity both to let your imagination run wild and illustrate narratively what kind of space they're entering. What I don't like is to treat it like a health bar Mm-hmm. Or a power level, for that matter, because you know some people try to get to glamour ten, and I want to say glamour ten isn't actually that oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. So, right. Also, yeah, talking of, I've been sort of thinking of like those points of glamour, but the whole what is your glamour trait or your glamour temper or whatever—that's a whole other, that's yeah, another question. But I think you can put the one in terms of the other. You know, when someone gains glamour, don't tell them you just gained a point of glamour. Tell them mm-hmm. suddenly you're you're flooded with sensations of X, Y, Z, whatever. Mm-hmm. I also don't like it as just like a reward. I know I've commented about this repeatedly on the Discord and everything, but 
I'm frustrated by how many people I see really fixating on dross as currency in the world of the Kithane. Oh, and yeah. And like, it, it just reduces what glamour is to such a like awful. Oh. Yeah, but it also thing. like, I think it reduces what currency is. Like it's not, it's well, such a yeah. different thing. And there's room for all of that in a game, in the moment. But I, mm-hmm. I do encourage anyone who's thinking about storytelling at the least players too, but especially storytellers, to think more broadly about the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Because it's a theme too, and it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to extract a thematic approach out of just dots and boxes and dice. So Mm -hmm. the most important thing to me about how how to deploy it in a game is to remind players and to remember if you are a player that one of the primary motivations of changelings is to cultivate glamour in the world. Not just for themselves, you know, whether you want to use the analogy of their farmers or their gardeners or their gatherers or like whatever, they have a vested interest in not just grabbing it all for themselves. Now, when that does happen, I do think that that makes for a good like unseely villain, you know, who says, yeah, glamour is free. I'm going to take everything I want. But generally speaking, that feels kind of one note to me. And I don't think it makes for a good player mentality. I want players mm-hmm. at least to have a little bit more well, thought about that's it. That's also not glamour is free exactly either. That's if you're hoarding it, you're not thinking it's free. But, uh, yeah. Well, you're thinking there will always be more. So yeah, but you're hoarding you just it. Keep still. You, should, you should anyway. Yeah, hoarding and using at at a brisk clip, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, but it's that working with it is a, is a personal experience, and it mm-hmm. should never feel routine. So like yeah, I don't think I don't think any changelings are happy to have a dreamer turned into an autumn person. They're not. No, it's like they always think that's a bad thing. I think there's an art might be an argument over how bad it is, but or how doomed we are. But yeah. in addition to being like weather and vitamins, glamour is like wood, like lumber. Mm-hmm. It is a renewable resource, but it's slow growing and it's finite. Mm-hmm. So you have yeah. to. It's like a rainforest. Mm-hmm. Actually, I really like that. It's living. Yeah. It's well. Living we're not going into the dreaming yet that'll be in a couple more episodes but mm-hmm. the dreaming as the ecosystem that arises out of the ecology of glamour is something mm-hmm. that's a really powerful uh, analogy but i think that's that's another thing with glamour too it doesn't have to be it can have qualities you might ascribe to agents like it's mm. like it doesn't have to be just an impersonal simple thing that is true However, I also think it's really interesting to consider what agency is actually there versus what's projected onto mm-hmm. it. To go back to your your other point, though, about the subjectivity or the relativity, maybe, of glamour. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was putting notes together for this, this uh, recording. And I don't really think there is a good individualized system or, or a system for representing the individualized experience of glamour in any edition of the game Mm -hmm. i suppose it doesn't matter all of the time but i think it really matters for something like reverie or yes or rapture or rhapsody maybe not so much ravaging so like well that's more the subjective nature of banality the rabbit perhaps the ravaging but yes yeah so if you have a, a painter you know two changelings there might be one changeling who can get a whole bunch of glamour out of them and one who just never forms a connection with them and I don't like how, you know, to a large extent, that's that's purely determined by a die roll in the mm-hmm. game. <laughs> and I almost wish, I mean, 
this might be a bridge too far, but I kind of wish, wish that there was like a resonance system similar to maybe not Mage 20, but Revised Mage, so that, you know, there was a way you could kind of show more concretely in game terms changelings having an affinity for certain types of creativity and glamour. We see mm-hmm. a little bit of this in the Harbingers of Winter Storyteller's Vault supplement where it talks about dark glamour. But yeah, I feel like a we could... tiny bit in the musing threshold table. I'm not saying it's a yeah, like but but even the musing threshold table, you have something like create hope. You could create the hope that mm-hmm. somebody is going to finish their sculpture and create the hope that somebody is going to take over the country. You know, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And I mean, rapture's the most personal, but it's almost there's no system for it. You kind of just say what your thing is, and then right, and then you roll from there. Yeah. Storytellers, please demand role-playing from your players. Thank you. Yep. This has been a public service announcement. And, yeah. But at some point, I guess the the sort of, I'm going to counter my own argument here. At some point, do you have to introduce like moral absolutes into the game? Like something that's dark glamour for one changeling may not feel dark at all to somebody else. So yeah. where's the dark well, definition? I was thinking about this a lot with Harbingers of Winter, and it's I'm, I'm not a fan of dark glamour like as a game mechanic Mm -hmm. i like your idea of the maybe something like resonance where there's i'd be lying if i said i hadn't written up some homebrew notes on this yes like a multifaceted thing yes but like i really don't like adding too much of a moral quality to any of the systems in changeling Mm. like you could have moral characters but that should almost be a i mean in general i find it it's a problem when a game says this is good and this is bad often because i often disagree with it and i really (laughs) hate it when it says this is good and i'm like speaking of a different popular game you're like you just said genocide is good in this situation no um yeah so and, and in changeling there's so much first of all you're not playing entirely human people right yeah and there's so much diversity even among human humanity in real life like it's the action of a good person what about the unintended i think unintended consequences are a really important thing yeah anyway so well in my ongoing quest to align mage with changeling because they're my two favorite world of darkness games what do you think about the idea of changelings almost having like a paradigm around glamour in the way that they see it the way that they choose to gather it the way that they use it Again, not talking M20? Yeah, I'm a for that. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not M20 paranoid, but it hurts my head. But, but I think it's it's telling that, you know, we can have this conversation, which is born out of the fact that for <laughs> nearly 30 years at this point, people have been debating what exactly constitutes glamour and banality for that matter. Yeah. Why wouldn't changelings themselves be doing the same thing? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I do think whatever it should be is if you have the answer of what can glamour and banality be any individual changeling it should almost certainly almost all of them should be a much smaller view of that like a much more limited view than what the, the other is. advantage though of building systems around that is it would give some weight back to the grammar knowledge which yeah. would be nice yeah I, if i'm doing the systems i just yeah I think any system like this would have to tie into the epiphany system among and the banality yes. system. Like it should Absolutely. be one. What I don't think changeling, I mean, it is no mage, but I think <laughs> changeling still actually, I don't think it should take on that much more cognitive load than what's here already. 
I agree with that. Which means you can still revise the system and have it do more things and all that, but like not just another thing tagged on a bunch more rules to what we have right now without cutting anything out. In Vampire 5th Edition, they've introduced like the feeding types, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like Vampire Paradigms, which is kind of interesting, as well as Blood Resonance or whatever. So I think these ideas are kind of percolating within Mm -hmm. the world of darkness in general. People are kind of realizing that there needs to be more subjectivity worked into it. Mm -hmm. And I also think they should be like in a longer running chronicle, your character should be able to not just change, but expand upon Mm. their view of things and, Mm -hmm. but maybe also become more limited depending on the character, like depending on the situation and the character and everything. So it's how to do that kind of thing in general with role-playing games where so much is based around, you have this experience point system where you just gain more dots and things you just become better. Yeah. That I don't think that the, the, the more organic shifting through play, but uh, which gets even more complicated with changelings because they might carry over opinions from incarnation to incarnation. <laughs> oh yeah. Unless you're doing a very different kind of game than most than I've ever done and most people have done, you don't really need a system for that, but I'm adding it to my list. Yeah. Tabletop changeling, I have not had a chronicle run Certainly more than like two dozen sessions before the banality of scheduling takes. Over. <laughs> yeah. So uh, like LARP, you, I've done a bit longer, but that also would be those who have all been like real time in between sessions. If it's been a week, it's been a week. If it's been a month, it's been a month in game. So. Well, really, all you have to do as a storyteller is to make sure your players die by the end of every one shot. Yes, that works. That's not so. that's going to have a- Maybe I'll, maybe I'll give that a try. Well, anyway, I'm, we're getting away from the topic. I did also yes. want to <laughs> uh, talk briefly about the generation of Glamour. So in our second edition core book dive, we talked a little bit about musing and ravaging thresholds, as you mentioned. And there is that opportunity to get really creative and individualistic with it. And I wish people, <laughs> frankly, put the same level of thought into how their character habitually and non-habitually, gathers glamour as they do into things like Vual and Unleashing and all of that, because it's just as important, you know? Yeah, maybe that's something we could encourage in the Discord at the very least. Yeah. More of those discussions. Because what I do as a storyteller, when I've had that, is what you basically say is, okay, it's like, let's suppose your player, a player hasn't taken any dreamers or freehold background. You're like, okay, you're running long glamour. And they're like, I want more of it. Right. Okay. Well, here's the system for it. If you want to explore doing this, if you, yeah. if you want to gain glamour, we're going to be role-playing these scenes, you know, and we can have the group do it and whatever, but I would not come up with some sweep it under the carpet. I think that's a terrible idea. I have two questions, actually. What are your thoughts on the concept of ambient glamour first? What do you mean by that? Well, in the sense that, say you're at a concert, And there are 500 screaming fans who are all swept up in the music and feeling really passionate and really into it. And everyone is feeling really creative and energized and everything. Technically, there's no system to get glamour out of that rules as written. Mm -hmm. And I hate that. (laughs) I I feel like, yes, you should be able to skim a point of glamour off of the crowd in that case. Yeah. Um, I'm ambivalent on that. Like I'm not ambivalent as in, I don't care. It's I am of two minds or I, I, I sort of flip-flopped on that. Actually, let me amend the statement. The Xian in particular can get glamour that way, or Yugen that way. Yeah. 
but kissing can't. The shamar a whole other. I know. Well, yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah. But I feel like I mean, in the same way that I want the hien to be more aligned with the kithane, and that I want them to be able to muse and ravage and whatnot. I want the kithane to be able to sip a point of glamour off of a crowd. I think Demon the Fallen actually has something like that for Faith. If I remember correctly. I believe it. Oh, Freaking Demon. De- Demon's funny. It's like, it's like I'm reading the book. Demon near- is Changeling revised. Basically. <laughs> yes, he was Changeling revised by somebody who like... Who hated Changeling. They were writing Changeling. No, they ne- I don't think they ever read Changeling. It's like they, they created Changeling without realizing it. It was very strange. But There's something glamorous in there. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's another thing that I, I would like to see more of in the game. Yeah, I, I'm actually, I like the idea, but I would not want it to be a f- super effective way of getting a lot of glamour. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would say if you spend the entire scene, it's almost like with legacies, you know, you get a point of willpower for fulfilling what can be a rather extended process. So I would say if you spend an entire scene in that environment at the end, the storyteller might say, you know what? Gain a point of glamour. In the same way that if you had to have your changeling suffer through an entire detention at school at the end, you might mm-hmm. gain a point of banality. So yep. that ambient stuff. But the other thing I wanted to ask, because you've played Wraith and I haven't, and mm-hmm. you might have also played more werewolf than I have. When you compare glamour to the other power stats and the other games, the valence of it is kind of different. I mean, I guess they're all kind of different. Mm-hmm. But I think one trap people often fall into is that they treat glamour like blood points. And I suspect they should treat it more like pathos than any of the other kinds. I think from everything you've said, you you need to look at one of the, it doesn't really matter which edition, one of the Wraith core books and look at pathos and passions. Hmm. And that type of, and then there's angst too, which is yeah. <laughs> closer to dark glamour than banality. Just even if you don't want to play Wraith, like just from a system perspective, it might give some ideas along those lines. Yeah. And I do think Gnosis kind of has an element of it too, because if I were playing Werewolf, I would say if I go down to zero Gnosis, my spiritual connection to Gaia has fizzled out for the time being, which would be very distressing. Unfortunately, many Werewolf players who I've come across don't seem to focus on that yeah well the whole glamour the subjective nature of how many points of glamour you have what does that mean for your character that's another thing i'm kind of unsure on and i think i wouldn't want to like hit home on that without really reworking things well this might be an opportunity to bring up bedlam Mm -hmm. and or nightmare seems like a possible segue so yeah bedlam what's bedlam (laughs) i have ideas but i have i have thoughts you start. You, you give okay. us your take. <laughs> Bedlam, and I think C20 does a good job. We're about to have a disagree. Maybe not a, a hard disagree. Bedlam really, it's, to me, is kind of like a imbalance or a, I, I see it as kind of like a poisoning. It's almost like glamour poisoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not the same as a, it's a psychological state brought upon by kind of external forces if you can describe glamour that way, where it's kind of unbalanced you. And that's a lot based on the first and second edition, what the thresholds table guidelines, it's not really even a system, the guidelines for Bedlam <laughs> were on. What it is in C20, it's described this way. And then you look at it, it's just using Nightmare Dice gives you Bedlam. So, right. an imbalance. <laughs> Which is my primary issue with it. Yeah. I'm, when working on house rule things, working on, it's the closest thing I have to 
being ready to hey. somebody help me publishing would be stuff around um assist like a more involved system for it a reminder that i am available for production assistance yes. on storytellers vault products. i just want to finish one <laughs> little bit and then let's talk um, all right yeah i think having something like the th- i want to have the threshold the thresholds from first and second edition or warning signs checklist warning signs checklist warning signs yeah yeah that's well you have the first second and third thresholds yeah but yeah so i meant they still have those sort of right but yeah the warning size checklist i found that a very difficult thing to use but i think it's mm. a good idea of what bedlam is yeah i i think you're right when you describe it as like a poisoning or a toxicity i mean going back to the vitamins metaphor if you have too many of a certain yeah. vitamin sometimes that can cause problems just like having too yeah low it's a, or maybe a health it might just be like changeling diabetes Oh yeah, the the glamour has kind of messed you up in, in a way. You, you you have glamour in not good way in the wrong parts of your soul. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the second edition warning signs checklist, I actually never found it a problem. I mean, I, I also don't think I ever saw anyone actually slip into bedlam in a game because mm-hmm. it just the the rule of thumb that I always used is like once you can check off half of the items on that checklist, that's when you need yeah. to start worrying. Otherwise, you're fine. I had one character slip into the first threshold. And then you work your way out, and it's usually fine. But I don't think I did that. But anyway, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that In any was, case. Was spiraling. <laughs> but what I like about that checklist is that it's a much more state-based, narrative-based kind of way of looking at it. So Bedlam, it's not the function of dice rolling. It's a function of the choices you make as a player with respect to glamour, yep. which I think is much more on target. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my personal view. I do think the way that it's presented in second edition, it's not for first-time players or first-time storytellers. I think you yeah. really have to play lots of games of it before you start using it. Yeah, I want something, and I'm sort of working on something that's making it a bit more like banality. Okay. Bedlam triggers. I would love to see Bedlam. I mean, I think that would actually be a... a, I'm surprised that C20 didn't do that, actually. Yeah. Because I think that would have been fine. (laughs) The system I have is essentially come up with, like, not everything on the checklist quite makes sense this way, but it's like, okay, you, uh, under these conditions, you roll your banality, very similar to how you roll your glamour to prevent, you roll your banality to see if you get a dot of nightmare. All right. And then everything works the same. It's better than having it be a purely mechanical function of willpower. Yeah. We should probably talk about Nightmare, actually, because that's, in yes. C20 at least, that's the relevant system. So Yeah. So Nightmare, that's a thing that's changed. There's a thing called Nightmare. Mechanically, I don't think it was in first edition, but it's similar between second and mechanically. Well, but what it does is completely different. So it is in first edition. They're just huh. cards. <laughs> oh, right. And there are vestiges of that in the second edition write-up. Like one of the nightmare results that you can get is draw another bunk. And you're like, wait, what? Because <laughs> so, I think the list that's in there, like I said in our second edition dive, I think the list of nightmare results that can happen, mm-hmm. aka paradox backlashes for changelings, they're all the nightmare cards from the cantrip card set. Yeah. So maybe nightmare triggers rather than bedlam triggers would have been the better... System. I think that might be what I wrote. But okay. yeah, I do think Nightmare and Bedlam, actually, the way it's described as opposed to what it does mechanically, do seem to have, like, you know, you look at second edition and you get those 
the effects of your nightmare rolls look a lot like bedlam effects to me mm. or echoes to some yeah. extent I do think it was sensible of them in C20 to tie it to willpower. That does make mm-hmm. a little bit more sense because fundamentally it's, you know, it, the more willpower you have, the more self-control you have to hold off those toxic effects of overusing glamour. So that, mm-hmm. that makes a little more sense than just making, because in second edition for anyone who's not familiar with the system, the way you get nightmare is if you're about to take a point of temporary banality, you can take a nightmare die instead and add it to your nightmare dice pool. And then when you roll a one, because you roll nightmare dice as part of a cantrip, if you roll a one, it discharges like paradox and mage, you get a negative effect and then it's removed from the pool. Mm -hmm. But importantly, in second edition, it's optional. Whereas in C20, it's this is when it happens. With the exception of you can, uh, what is it to reduce the difficulty of a cantrip by one, you can add three nightmare dice. But otherwise it's you get one in Botching a glamour roll, unleashing, or rolling tens on nightmare dice, I think are the three cases. Mm-hmm. So you have much fewer options over when you mm-hmm. get nightmare, but then it's more directly tied to the trait that has to do with your self-control, which I like. Although, although I forgot about the botching the roll. The, the two of those are very optional. You get the three dice or you're unleashing. You're kind of choosing to take on, like, you, you, you know. I guess the unleash, yeah. I, well... I suppose that's true. I suppose one does choose to unleash, unless one is in an anime. I think I think we both agree that the anime system needs uh, work in C twenty. Yeah. Is there actually? I'm. I actually can't remember now if an anime can unleash without nightmare, or if it just sucks to be one of them. <laughs> I can't. I think they, they they get the nightmare if I remember right. Oh, that's awful. Would I say I prefer C twenty over previous editions? I really mean for Kithane games. Mm, it, yeah. It's more of a mixed bag for other groups but anyway the other piece though that i dislike is that when you have nightmare so if you get up to 10 nightmare you get an imbalanced point of willpower right Mm -hmm. you mark it by putting a dot or whatever under the rightmost box of your track your willpower track which raises questions it's like if you then buy more willpower do you get a non-imbalanced point on top of that? Like I thought you do your leftmost. I can't remember. But I think it's your leftmost. And then you're supposed to sp- Yeah, there there's always the question a lot of people had is how are you supposed to spend it? Right. Well, and that's and there's no guidance but on that. I think you spend right to left and put Yeah, there it's definitely not in the book with the guidance. Yeah. My suggestion would be spend right to left and mark it left to right. All right, so that's another thing I dislike. <laughs> but so even all of that aside. So when you spend that willpower, that's when you get the the bedlam threshold, right? Yeah. So it's odd to me. I don't know. Like, can you then invoke the autumn to hold off bedlam? Like, it just raises a lot of questions. Well, you can you can actually do certain epiphanies. I can't remember which ones. And instead of getting the glamour, just get rid of your imbalance. I think it's any of them. Or at the very least, it's... Yeah, the, um... but not freeholds or things like that. Right, it's not when you get glamour, it's when you do an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Also, though, with the rules as written, technically, if you set it up correctly, you could accrue more and more nightmare dice, accrue more and more imbalanced willpower, but never spend that willpower. Like, if you manage to get away yeah. with not spending any willpower, you show yep. no signs of it outwardly until you botch one too many times and suddenly you're sucked into the dreaming. 
So again, going back to what I said about second edition, I like it being more of a narrative state-based thing. I think changelings mm-hmm. should be able to tell when the other changelings around them are verging on Bedlam. Yeah. I want the mechanics to support the narrative better. That's probably how yes. I put it. I'd like having mechanics, but I want it to fit the narrative. So, And what worries me is the kinds of narratives that get created out of like the, these mechanics. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, all right, it doesn't it doesn't worry me, okay. but that is definitely not new to C twenty. That's just which <laughs> mechanics have these problems. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's true. But I I can envision narratives coming out of these mechanics that to me don't fit what I see as the themes of the game. Yeah. So, should we talk about banality? Yes, let's do that. So, what's banality? Well, I have a quote from C20 for that as well. Banality is disengagement, existence by rote with no aspirations and nothing to lose. It saturates the world, suffocating everyone. It can be seen in the minimum wage worker holding down three jobs, living off food stamps, and still unable to make ends meet. He is too busy just surviving to dream. Banality also infects the corporate executive working for less than a year, fired for incompetence and awarded a golden parachute in the tens of millions. She has no desire to dream and take risks, so she wanders aimlessly through life. There's also a part that says, Glamour's counterweight, banality is cold where glamour is warm, hunger where glamour is plenty, apathy where glamour is hope. More than despair, it is an emptiness, a stasis, the lack of a drive to take life for anything more than a series of meaningless rote actions. Even sorrow and loss are emotions charged with glamour and inspiration. What banality touches shivers and dies, though it puts up every appearance of living on. It is active apathy, a pervasive force of conformity that has infested the modern world. I agree with that, and I think it's also missing a big part of what banality is. Oh, which part? I think banality is also, can be, a defense against glamour. Mm. And not just the whole uh, system where you can pretend, like, stop being a fae for a little bit and your glamour affects you less, but, I mean, that's part of it, but why does ravaging affect people? And I think also, like, where this maybe comes into, if you were to define dark glamour, to me, it's glamour that's more likely to have someone try to fight it with banality, like take on banality because it it's scary, right? Like how bad do your nightmares have to be before you might give up a bit of creativity to make them stop? You know, you have a, I think banality is also like when a child's terrified of something fantastic and you convince them it's not real. Mm-hmm. That's banality. And, yeah. and that's another thing. Like, I think you can have, there was like dark musing, I think, in the player's guide. Like, I think there should mm-hmm. be light ravaging, right? <laughs> like you're. <laughs> yeah, well, it's an interesting, because that to me, so this this is kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. Something I do want to point out is one of my favorite banality related things in the game is designing Dauntane. And I mm-hmm. think that's a very daunting perspective is to be like, I'm just projecting with the childlings, you know, yeah. from all of the nervosa and the noctitsa out there. Someone has to. And that well, it's, it's also like the changeling way was banal compared to what was before. Sure. It is taking on banality to protect you from banality, which is another thing. That... A different question being why is banality? Like, why is it in the game? Why is it such a essential part of it? And I think it is an essential part because I think it's the point yeah. of Changeling. I've heard people yeah. say that they don't like playing in games with too much banality, but I 
I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah. And I can think of a game with too much banality, but I don't think I've heard anyone. Well, maybe somebody in second edition did it, but like. Or first edition. It has to be a lot of banality to be for. Yeah, for. Well, second edition, I felt even worse for it, but. I mean, remember those autumn people rules. Yikes. Y- yeah, but. The librarian shushes you and you gain five points of temporary banality. <laughs> I still keep those, but. Um, that, yeah. yeah, I think it's important to. That's a thing walking away from Arcadia, or the other podcast, uh, walking away from Arcadia. Check it out. Brought up a whole, yeah, check it out. A bunch of times brought up that I really agree with is banality as othering. All right. Conformity, but like not conformity. Like, you know, if you happen to find people like you and you're like them, that's, that's not banality. But pretending to be somebody you're not to fit in in a way that like denies who you are, that's banality at the core, I think. And changelings aren't mortals, which is a big <laughs> problem for them. Yeah. You think it wouldn't be, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's an important theme to changeling is banality. And I think that's yeah the story of changeling. There, you know, you've seen it like changeling as a queer metaphor. It's not just a, like, there's a lot of othered people that it can fit under, right? It's sort of, it's, it's a different group, right? So it could be a metaphor for a lot of things, but. It is a metaphor for that, and it is important. Yeah, I think I had a, a discussion, I think it was with friend of the show, Charles Siegel, on Discord, and talking about, I think, I can't remember now if it was in reference to Changeling or not, but thinking of it as, like when I read X-Men, and mm-hmm. I know that someone else is reading it in a way that is very similar like they're getting something out of it very similar to what I'm getting out of it in terms of minority identity. But Mm -hmm. I know that it's simultaneously completely different from what I'm getting out of it. Yeah. So like it's a cipher in a sense for, yeah, that sense of displacement. And I, I do wish that was kind of highlighted more. So I have another Mm -hmm. quote actually from C20 and I think it's on the first page, the first proper page of the rules. So it says, Changeling the Dreaming is about adventure, romanticism, discovery, dreams, and imagination. It is also about a cynical world that crushes down all good things for the sake of soulless, uniform banality. It's a game about those concepts colliding. Mm -hmm. In and of itself, there's nothing in that statement that indicates balance should be a virtue. And that is something which I think is a crucial theme of Changeling, which not enough people often apprehend. As I've said before, the bare bits of LARP experience that I've had were in the Nordic LARP system. And Nordic LARPs are very much games that are meant to teach you something about yourself and the world around you and your place in it. So I want to apply that to Changeling and say, it's not just about glamour and fighting against banality. It's about maintaining glamour within banality. You Mm -hmm. know, it's the two have to coexist because that's the world we live in. Yeah. And you don't want too much of either, and you don't want either one to vanish. You, you might want more glamour than banality, yeah. but ultimately you need that barest nugget of stasis and sameness, because otherwise everything will dissolve into formless chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also like, it just says, like, when you go look at, like, the, by the numbers, there's like a, I bring this up a lot on page 267, starting in the Dreaming 20th edition core book. Oh, let me flip to it. And by flip to it, I mean, type it in on the PDF. Yeah, it's very, I think, showing what banality is, like seeing what these different banality ratings mean, Mm. right? Not as much for changelings, and that gets confusing of who that applies to and who doesn't. But I think this really does highlight, you know, what is banality 
because if you look at like what does it mean to have low banality what does it mean to have mid banality what does it mean to have high banality yeah and it talks of like about you know people have a lot of trouble fitting into the world if they have low banality and that's yeah they should i think that makes sense like mm-hmm. one thing in this book doesn't bring up but i think would be makes sense is like you can have really bad people who have low banality absolutely yeah absolutely I mean, I think and you can have that's changeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe not. But banality Ted gets very imbalanced in the other direction. But well, you could also have harmless people who are banality Ted. Maybe not harmless to changelings. But yeah, banality Ted gets pushing it. But definitely, like banality seven, absolutely is harmless. Yeah, which was formerly the standard for humans. I think they've toned it down a little bit. Uh, is seven average still? I can't remember. I think so. Well, it says I thought six was like the average now. Because if you read it, it seems like six and seven are kind of like a lot of people are both. Like a lot of people yeah. are six and a lot of people are seven. And I think that makes sense. Well, and that returns to the subjectivity concept because we actually didn't say this with Glamour. I think a lot of what we said with Glamour applies here in terms of whether or yeah. not it's subjective, in terms of the ambientness. And the ambience part is at least spelled out in the rules for banality. Yeah. But also from time to time, like banality... And glamour, I feel, should wax and wane through different parts yeah. of life or or the week yeah. or whatever. Weekends are more glamorous. Yeah. One thing I really don't like is both editions, I think, both ver- both versions of Kinane, both the C20 and the previous Kinane. Uh, has oh, Kinane. The Kinane just as vulnerable to banality as changelings. And that always seemed weird to me. Mm. But well, C20, they're not they don't suffer from it at all. So. Well, they still get a rating, though. Um, yeah, but it doesn't hurt them. Or... Yeah, that's true. Hurts can hurt other people. But yes. they couldn't target themselves with cantrips if they... <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. What do you think, by the way, about... Just this is a random thing. There's a piece in C20 that says a structure's banality, or I guess like the space of a within a structure, is determined by the banality of an average member of the organization that made it. What are your thoughts on this? Wait, does it made it or inhabits it? uh wait the organization that made it that way so all right Mm. so repurposing does shift the rating but even so i mean i think you could still have a structure that seems very banal from the outside but isn't and then seems very glamorous from the outside but isn't yeah there's a i can't remember which edition it's from or if it's still there there's a talk about glamorous places in terms of where you can make a freehold and I think that's a similar thing. Like, I think it a lot should come down to the people who use it. And you could have a place that shifts from time to time. But I, I kind of like it being a bit sticky. Yeah. Again, some kind of resonance system, I think, would help resolve a lot of this. And I yeah. do like, shout out to Harbingers of Winter again, the schism system, I mm-hmm. think, was a, an interesting way to kind of approach yeah. all of that. One thing about C20 banality that... Uh, still bothers me (laughs) in terms of like banality triggers with rules as written in terms of the hard mechanics you could have a changeling who works a dead-end job 12 hours a day for minimum wage and lives in a crummy apartment maybe not lives in a crummy apartment because that's it gets into ambient banality but like a crummy house (laughs) a a falling apart house maybe you know just Maybe they've lovingly decorated it. Whatever it takes to not have it gain ambient banality. In any case, a dead-end job 12 hours a day doesn't necessarily trigger banality. You know? yeah. Conversely, you could run rampant through the dreaming, slaying 
sentient chimera and changelings if you're a wilder tell other changelings that their dreams are you know worthless or whatever and refuse to engage with any dreamers and as long as you can still get to a bale fire and don't smash every treasure that you see you don't really get banality from any of that mm-hmm. so like banality yeah doesn't seem to really punish destruction of glamour so long as that destruction is done in the spirit of like mustache twirling dastardliness i guess I'm okay with that because I I I mean I think slaying monsters shouldn't get you. I like I don't like slaying monsters getting you banality. They're not necessarily monsters. You can slay no. sentient good chimera and that's not have repercussions. Yeah, and so. I think it should almost fit into why are you doing it? Right. Well, again, it's good for a villain. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think it speaks to the problem of well, subjectivity again. I mean, it all keeps coming back to that. We need some kind of stronger system Mm -hmm. for representing that. But then it also, I think the game sometimes doesn't know what it wants the relationship between glamour and banality to be. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it kind of oscillates between a couple different options. And then there's like, you know, disaligned systems that tie into that. Yeah. So I I, I don't have an answer for how to resolve that, but it's something that kind of rankles me when I run into it. This is one of those things, like thinking about the... um seemings and the yeah, effects yeah, that have yeah. on banality now i feel like c20 does a lot of overstepping in the right direction <laughs> like it overshot where it should land and you can argue over which was better the place before c20 or the place after c20 but i think it definitely overshot in a lot of places yeah so and that's another one where it's like yeah they, did you think that through like this was this 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 has weird implications yeah. um just like grumps being immune to banality of people right like like that is it went from like grumps being too rare in my opinion to if you're playing a game centered around that's that has banality and brings in the themes of banality why would you mechanically at least you should play a grump because like yeah so i i sort of like i saw sort of glamour is coming fitting things like the sublime and talking about inspiration and things like that what concepts from before changeling do you think changeling drew from for banality a few. So when I think of popular culture, I think of films like The Neverending Story and Hook and those sort of stories of denying imagination and fantasy and all of that. I think there's also precedent in really, <laughs> I guess, like Irish folklore to, to some extent, because you have like the Tua de Dedanan going under the hills and becoming the Ishi and disappearing from the world and like slowly eroding into like fairy stories. But then also, you remember in our interview with Ian Lemke, when you kind of talked about that feeling of you're hanging out with all of your friends and you're having adventures. And then as you grow up, you watch them like get dead end jobs and fade into these Mm -hmm. of their former selves. So I think it's it's kind of drawing on all of that and trying to recreate that experience as a way of, of operationalizing, to use that term again, that theme within the game. Yep. But I don't know that there's like a specific mythic reference yeah. to it. I think if you brought in anything academic, although I don't think this was an early changeling for sure, and I'm unsure about for C20, certainly the, I'm not even sure about the core book, or the concept of microaggressions seems to also... Maybe. Uh, there was actually a conversation I just had before this recording on Discord when someone brought up depression as a, a common analog. And what I responded was, having had this conversation multiple times before, I am not by any means trained in psychology, but my understanding is that banality 
is depression, but not clinical depression, because it has those elements of, yeah, apathy and lack of engagement and flat affect and all of that, but not necessarily melancholy and some of the other stuff associated with like depressive disorder. Well, that that also gets into depressions pretty broad too, like what it could apply to. But specifically that steadiness is too too nice of a word for what it describes but that there's there's very little variation there's little there's no growth there's no change it's just kind Mm -hmm. of like a steady state maybe that's the term i want yeah Um, but you can have like autumn certainly you can have like all the way up to banality 10 and not oh yeah yeah remotely resemble depression yeah well and some extremely banal people are very very passionate about the rules so yeah it's one perspective. I think it's also valid to say banality is just conformity and the pressure mm-hmm. to be the same as everybody else. Yeah. And it's also the unhappy ending and like the fading of the dream, all of that. I mean, glamour has a lot of different variations as well. So maybe yeah. maybe those are the variations of banality resonance. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think that they should be miscible. The, the metaphor that I've been using in a project that I've been working on is it's like oil and vinegar and the world is a vinaigrette. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get more oil, sometimes you get more vinegar and different people have different tastes towards one or the other, but they're all constantly like flowing and recombining and never truly dissolving into each other. Mm-hmm. And that, so this, you know, Shen would be an emulsification, like when you get like the really the weirdly creamy vinaigrette. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or Dantain, I mean. Yep. Well, well, especially old school Dantain. C20 Dantain are confusing to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I think of Dantain, when I'm saying, talking about designing Dantain, Dantain villains, I'm wholly talking about my familiarity with them through second edition. I think Dantain should be very high glamour, very high banality, burning bright and burning out fast and taking the world down with them. That's the Dantain that I want. And like any good villain, they have a, a narrative and a story and why they know they're right. Mm-hmm. Although this gets into, it's funny, like this shows a weird bias. Like some people when they go, oh yeah, banality, unseely, that fits. And I'm always like, banality, seely, that oh, fits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... I, I think when we talk about the subjectivity of it, it gets down to the level of like from changeling to changeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can absolutely have changelings who don't want to be around their maybe not motley mates or oath mates, but like people who visit the same freehold. They're like, how about you sit on the other side of the balefire? <laughs> yep. And something to get into when we talk about queerness and kinship in a few episodes is having been in spaces like that during my life, I I feel that very keenly in that sense of, I know that it is dramatically helpful for me to be in this space. It's nourishing to my soul. I also know I can't stand those three people who also feel the need to be here. Yeah. So. Oh, and that is, that's not just queer spaces, but yes, queer spaces are one of the places. Yeah. We're not explicitly queer spaces. I wouldn't, anyway. Yeah, well, that's the ones that I'm talking about. So. Yeah, <laughs> I guess families are kind of like that too, in general. Well, I'm just thinking also like there's a lot of spaces where some sort of radical acceptance. Right, 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 right. 
slightly related to that to kind of return to the question from the glamour how do you incorporate banality into a game both in terms of how you depict it and how often you deploy it i often have it very based around interactions with mortals Mm. Um, sometimes autumn people sometimes just general interaction with the mortals that's where i like to bring it up a lot where it's about the whole again micro maybe microaggressions or something like that just being around these people wears you down Mm-hmm. And I try to also like very ground it in the mundane life. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I do try to force players to like to deal with it from time to time. Uh, and I know that there are people who don't want, you know, they just want a dreaming game and that's it. And I'm like, all right, well, good luck. Yeah, I'm not really interested in those. Yeah. Yeah. You know, d- different strokes for different folks. It's not the kinds of stories that I'm interested in telling. Yeah. I like games in general. Like I really like maybe broader than it would be strictly used by a bookstore, like urban fantasy genre. Yeah. 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 And the, okay, you have this regular life side and this fantastic side. Like that's just a lot of the media I like falls under that. So, yeah. And that's the thing I like the changeling does. I think like the whole world of darkness is based around that, but I think changeling hits it the hardest. But it's a difficult concept, and I want to I want to acknowledge that. I mean, no one mm-hmm. said it was easy to role play this game, but because to be fair, it's easier to make a story about you know the threat of dark glamour or a, a dark changeling because that's the natural counterpart to glamour, good and evil, whatever that might mean relative to the changelings involved. Banality is an entirely different situation to deal with. Like, it's, an, again, another fallacy to say banality is the opposite of glamour. I don't think they're yeah. opposites at all, even though functionally they sometimes end up that way. But it's like you're playing a game where you're defending certain kinds of dream in relation to certain other kinds of dream. And then simultaneously you're playing a game about defending dreams in general against erosion. Mm. Yep. It's an interesting sort of conundrum for a changeling. It's like, we have to stop the supervillain. They're full of dark glamour. They're going to eat these people or whatever. We have to kill them. But if you kill them, you're going to get banality from it because banality doesn't care what kind of dream you're ending. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting and it's difficult. And I I love it. (laughs) That's the thematic stuff that I live for. I also do a lot of, it seems like, a lot of my role play, when I'm running, like I'm storytelling or DMing in general, it seems like there's been a lot of player characters actually playing good people and then I'm putting it into like hard moral decision, mm-hmm. like trying to corrupt their characters. It's kind of <laughs> not in a creepy, bad way generally, but like, a, it's, like it's we're, valid. We're, we're talking about it a lot. Yeah. But I find that very fun. And so do the players often. So, well, that's what counts. But yeah. So it's like, oh, they're the dark glamour thing, sort of. I'm the bad guy? Yeah, and they're like facing up against actually not that bad banal people. And <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I think that's about all that I had in mind. I have a lot of notes for this yeah. discussion. But I think that's all the stuff that I wanted to talk about. We do have some questions, though, unless you have any yeah. other points you wanted to throw in. Uh, no, I think that's, uh, I think we've covered everything beyond the questions sounds good right on 
So Sandjigger asks, should glam rampinality be one stat where raising one necessarily lowers the other? I would say no, solely because I don't see them as mutually exclusive, and I don't think the yep. game really does either. However, because that is functionally how a lot of people seem to play it, as well as you know, glamour good, banality bad, you could if you wanted. And I think if you did, it would I guess it would be kind of like the Chi Wheel and Kindred of the East. <laughs> or maybe Quintessence and Paradox. So if I was making a new edition of Change Life, I would have a quick start that does that, and then the mm. core game absolutely would go against that. <laughs> okay. It would be very easy to to demonstrate the concept of balance with that, though. It's just that don't let either one fill up yeah. the track. Yeah. Then Fetch asks, here's, here's a, a bunch of questions put together. How often do you see the PCs in charge of the freehold? How often are they not in charge but have easy access to it? And how often do you see more than one freehold in a city, either by canon or in people's home games? I think, respectively... PCs in charge of the freehold, not often, but I'm happy for people to take the holdings background. How often are they not in charge but have easy access to it? Much more often because every splat has a safe haven concept in their game. You know, vampires mm -hmm. go to Elysium, werewolves go to the Cairn, motleys go to the freehold, mages go to the Chantry, whatever. And then more than one freehold in a city very frequently, I would say, both in yeah. canon and in home games. Every Changeling game I've run or played in, with one exception, it's always been a minority of players, but at least one have had the holdings background. Mm -hmm. And the one game where no one had the holdings background, they got it after a few sessions. <laughs> and I mean, it might just be a one dot, one point of holdings or something that one player has, but it's always been someone has the holdings background, then there's dynamics around who controls it. And I like try to, if I'm running the game, try to bring in complications around it and things like that yeah. and then the really powerful freeholds are like npc stuff but like you're not simply getting whatever free access to i restrict pretty heavily yeah like it would have to make a lot of sense i guess well as has been said and i will be saying again when we do our session zero episode the dots on a character's sheet are story opportunities waiting for you as a storyteller to take advantage of them yep so if someone takes holdings there's a lot to work with there. <laughs> they, as yep. a character, should have a vested interest and a particular take on any any chronicle or part of a chronicle that involves the character's home being threatened. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, like one game I ran, we explicitly based it around, it was a makerspace like that's in the real world. And we're like, oh, let's, let's have this be the, this character runs it in the game as a freehold. Then it's like, but there was in the news that like, their landlord was like trying to sell the place and like that mm. became the plot. And then anyway, yeah, things like that often come up where it's kind of protecting your freehold against banality and trying to maintain against the mortal world kind of thing. Yeah. So then fetch also asks, can you invoke the autumn or weird as a reflexive action? I'm wondering whether you can use autumn to stop a cantrip that's about to affect you or use weird to make a cantrip more powerful as you invoke it. I would rule yes for autumn and no for weird. And this is because invoking the autumn is solely spending a willpower point, which usually is kind of an instinctive thing. Like I think most storytellers say, if you botch and you're like, oh, can I just spend a willpower? Like most storytellers will say, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, fine. I tend not to do that, but yeah. Oh, um, all right. I mean, situational maybe, but I think mm -hmm. for invoking the autumn, especially because they did away with some of the counterweaving systems and that was one of the main ones from second edition. 
Oh, actually, I would treat it as reflexive. Yeah. Uh, just looking at the rules for it. Yeah. I think I think the rules by written are invoking it, the autumn. It seems Invoking like the it. weird is is a role. Invoking yeah. the autumn isn't. Well, and invoking the weird also involves glamour, which I think always mm. has to be intentional. That's kind yeah, of Yeah, and invoking the autumn also, I mean, it's willpower. I think willpower also has to be intentional. I'd see even more so than glamour, but it explicitly just lasts for one action or one turn, so, I guess. Sorry, to, intentional isn't exactly what I meant. Um, <laughs> I feel like glamour should be very, glamour is not like something you do instinctively, like using it in that specific way. You don't enchant someone on instinct. Mm, I don't yeah. think. I have had situations, I've seen it where somebody's accidentally uh, rhapsodied people. <laughs> Whoops. But that's great, actually. That was the glamour expenditure was it was intentional. They just didn't intend it for rhapsody. But that's actually a great way to introduce rhapsody to a game for players who've never seen it before. <laughs> They're like really laying in the enchantment with their mm. dreamers. All right. Yeah, no, I, I'd say I'd say invoking the autumn's not an action. Calling on the weird in second edition was also a willpower roll, which is definitely not reflexive. Yeah. So now you could like split your action still or something for invoking the weird, but yeah. And then Chronomorpho asks, how did the different editions deal with the relationship between both the unseely and banality and Fomorians of banality? It seems like there was a drift through the editions where there was this weird connection between unseeliness, Fomorian tendencies dark glamour and banality that changed towards other equally ambiguous conceptual orientations. Mm. Very fair point. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure which way it shifted, but that's, the connection's definitely been there. It shifted away, I would say. Okay. And I think what that comes down to is that when the game started, the notion of dark glamour was very thinly developed and just yeah. very slowly over the course of more and more books I think by the end of second edition, it was totally moved away from that yeah. to some extent. Maybe not totally, but... No, but I think for more, like when they really started getting mechanically into Fomorians, they were big on Fomorians are immune to banality. Yeah, I, I guess that's... I guess we'll cover that when we get into the books on it. <laughs> books. It also, it kind of makes me think, going back to the, the relativity part, I wonder if you could frame it as the Fae see the Fomorians as being banal solely because they represent the death of the Tuatha dream. But the Fomorians yeah. themselves and their followers, they see their own mission as glamorous because they're bringing their own dream into reality. So there's yeah. that. I think this is also the, ca the case where some forms of glamour really make you want to use banality to fend against them more than others. And mm. uh, Fomorians are really strong in that camp of mm -hmm. if you could fight it off with banality, it's probably a better idea yeah. than letting that dream get to you. Yeah. And again, Harbingers of Winter's take on formalizing dark glamour is at least another step in that, yeah. you know, kind of direction. But it's a good arc overall, because I do think that initial conception of like, glamour is associated with the Kithane and the Seely and banality is associated with Fomorians and the Unseely was too reductive. And I think they oh, have yeah. stepped out of that. I don't know if that was fully coherent, even in the first Ed Core book on. But, well, they didn't even have Fomorians in the first Ed Core book. So. No, but the, the unseely seely bit. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, you know, that notion of, oh, seely muse and unseely ravage. Yeah. One uses glamour, one uses banality. It's like, well, it's a little more complicated. Yeah, but they're that. both gaining glamour. Right, yeah. 
Yeah, that's always the weird thing to me is like, you almost kind of have to fail at ravaging a few times before you get good at it because you have to build up enough banality to roll enough dice to get glamour. Yeah. Which is a weird thing. But Or or in first edition, you play a grump. Or that. But anyway, I, I do think it's a, a good point to bring up. Unless we forget, I do think people homebrewed their way out of that conundrum long before C20 oh, came out. Yeah. I think I played by the book LARP Shining Host. Mm-hmm. I have never played or run by the book even close uh, second edition changeling. <laughs> oh, who has? And first edition changeling, well, I've never owned cantrip cards, so. Yeah. Do you think, this is a, a, a broad question, do you think that a disadvantage of the 20th anniversary editions, because they are such kitchen sink games, is that it's people are more inclined to play rules as written because there are so many rules to keep yeah. track of in one book? I think it is more playable rules. Like, I mean, there is more to it, right? But mm. if you took the, the C20 core book and the equivalent core book and supplements for whatever you're doing in the second edition, I think your game is going to fall apart a lot faster in second edition if you're doing it strictly by the book. Mm. Yeah, I can I can see that. Because there's too many holes. In this yeah. Sense. That being said, you also have things like the Dolor's Stroke. Oh, there's fun things. Yeah. Although there's definitely things I want to... Yeah. Anyway. All right. That's a solid discussion of Glamour and Banality, but yep. we could have another solid one in the future. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, this has been Changeling, the podcast. Changeling, the podcast. You can find us at uh, changelingthepodcast.com. You can email us, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. You can join our Discord. Discord.me slash CTP. Yep. You can uh, tuta, send us a toot at changelingpod at dice.camp. Follow us on Facebook, Changeling the Podcast. Or just scream into the night. Yes. And uh, once again, uh, I am Josh. I've been known in many places and times as Puka. Yeah. Just remember, if the nightmares get really bad, you could always just stop being creative. It's better to have a bedlam threshold than a threshlam bedhold. This week's outro is brought to you by Etymology. The word glamour is believed to be derived from the Scots word gramarai, meaning an enchantment, and when you switch a few letters around, it becomes grammaire, the knowledge from changeling. Grammarai itself is thought to be from grammaire, the old French word that means and is the root for grammar, because magic always comes back to linguistics. Meanwhile, banality also comes from French banalité, in turn from banal, which ultimately stems from Latin banalis, meaning prohibited or forbidden, because laws are boring. And finally, the word dantain is an ancient Frankish term meaning person who just needs a hug. If you enjoyed our show and would like future etymological explorations into the roots of Changeling the Dreaming, please consider supporting us by joining our Patreon. Visit www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast, and you too can join the elite list of people's what get shout-out at the end of each episode, such as Derek, Dorchadas, Oreo, Roz Caboose, Sanchiger, Sija, and Terry Robinson. You can also help us out by leaving a review on the podcast listening platform of your choice, or stopping by our Discord at www.discord.me ctp for discussions of all things glamoratical. Thanks for your ear turns, and until next time, keep on dreaming.